This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be continuing coverage of the Judge Rotenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. Let's get right to it. In the past four episodes, we've gone over the history of the Behavior Research Institute, now known as the Judge Rotenberg Center, invention of the CIBIS, graduated electronic decelerator, several of the multiple accounts of abuse at the hands of Matthew Israel and JRC, the prank call, the criminal charges against Matthew Israel, and Andre McCollin's case. If you haven't heard the previous four episodes, you might want to skip back, because we've covered a lot. Let's pick right back up where we left off. It's 2012, and that video of Andre McCollins being shocked repeatedly for failing to remove his jacket had been released. The public watched in horror as Andre lie there, restrained, face down, helmet on his head, and was repeatedly shocked as he cried out in pain. A treatment that JRC had fought so hard to keep out of the public eye was now being broadcast on national TV. Anderson Cooper and others picked up the story. Government officials also appeared to take note because in October of 2012, the FDA inspected JRC and their so-called therapy. And what did they find? Surprise, surprise, the Judge Rotenberg Center was using unapproved electric skin shock machines on its students. Remember how we went from the GED all the way to the GED4, making the device more powerful? Because why not? Yeah, well, the FDA had never approved any of those alterations. According to ABC News, the FDA fired off a warning letter to the center, stating the devices, quote, violate the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act because your facility has failed to obtain FDA clearance or approval. The Rotenberg Center responded and sent a statement to ABC News, saying school officials would meet with the FDA in January to provide answers to the warning letter, going on further to say that the FDA's position was very important to them, adding that JRC, quote, continues to work closely with the FDA to address the issues identified in the warning letter, and the center will continue to address any and all of the agency's concerns. But it sure didn't seem like JRC gave two shits about the FDA's opinion since this wasn't the first warning letter issued. Y'all can't be working too closely since it seems JRC dismissed the warnings of the FDA in 2000 and again in 2011. But hey, it's their story, I'll let them tell it. 
Former teacher at JRC from 2003 to 2006, Greg Miller also wrote in to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in response to their warning to the JRC about using unapproved devices. We've talked about Greg Miller before and how after he quit his job at JRC because he just couldn't take it anymore, he became an outspoken critic of the Judge Rotenberg Center. Greg fought alongside advocates for years to end the torturous treatment at JRC. In his letter, he told the FDA he was deeply troubled to learn on a news program, Anderson Cooper 360 to be exact, that the GED-4 was never approved by the FDA. He revealed that he had always faithfully followed student plans at JRC and had shocked many students with both a GED-1 and GED-4. Miller claimed that JRC intentionally misled he and other staff for years to believe that the GED-4 was FDA-approved. And due to their lies and deception, he believed he was guilty of carrying out some of the most terrible, torturous crimes against helpless and nonverbal students. Those nonverbal students couldn't even speak of the horrors to which they were subjected to at JRC by well-meaning staff like Greg or tell of their nightmares from watching their classmates get shocked. Miller pleaded with the FDA not to overlook the seriousness of JRC's deception, because the difference between having FDA approval and not having FDA approval for the GED-4 mattered greatly in determining whether the use of the devices is torture or a treatment, dangerous and harmful, but albeit justifiable and whether staff are willing to participate in such inhumane acts and violations of human rights. He went on further to say he would have never used a GED device on his students had he not been told repeatedly that the devices were FDA-approved. He urged the FDA not to approve the use of any of the GED devices on his former students or any students at the Judge Rotenberg Center and for them to investigate and see if the judges approving the behavior plans were also misled. Were they told the devices were FDA-approved as he was? He expressed his belief that JRC's deception ran deep, and that it was this deception which enabled the JRC to torture students for so many years. He then exposed what he called JRC's many falsehoods, outlining them one by one. And these were all things he had personal knowledge of and was willing and ready to testify to. Number one, he could testify that he was told by the JRC during training and by administrative staff that the GED-4 devices were FDA approved. Learning the truth had been traumatic for him because he believed back then that he was saving his students' lives by trusting not only JRC's treatment plans, but also the FDA's judgment of safety. Number two, he could testify to seeing with his own two eyes bloody and crusty scabs all over the arms, legs, and torsos of numerous students, caused mostly by the GED-4, which was most evident to him when he helped certain nonverbal students to sponge bathe at school, known by JRC as self-care. A number of these nonverbal students he worked with received 30 shocks in a day, including while tied to a restraint chair, further stating that what happened to Andre McCollins was not an exception or more excessive than the manner in which a number of, quote, 
lower-functioning students were treated. Number three, he could testify to a variety of examples about spontaneous firings of the GED devices, thereby causing students to be shocked repeatedly and rapidly by the devices. Remember a while back we talked about what JRC called misapplications of the GED, where it would just go off without explanation? Greg recounted that staff at JRC must learn to quickly open backpacks to unplug devices when they spontaneously start firing. Number four, Miller could testify that staff were required to keep a medical log of an epileptic student's seizures, and that two out of three times when this particular student was shocked, his arms, legs, and full body would go stiff. His eyes would roll back, he would drool, and that they would have to hold him up or help him to the floor if he was standing. The time of day and length of seizure was documented, but staff were not asked to record whether the seizure took place immediately after receiving a GED application. JRC informed Miller and other staff that the seizures were less harmful than the students' behaviors, but he couldn't help but to keep thinking of the many other ways that the students' behaviors could have been addressed if he were permitted to do so. But as you probably know by now, that wasn't and isn't a thing at JRC. Greg described that employing other behavioral strategies or redirection other than shocking the student with the GED was called avoiding student behaviors and, quote, failure to follow a student's plan, which resulted in staff being suspended for days from work without pay the first time it happened or fired. Number five, he testified that a student was shocked as part of his behavioral plan for closing his eyes for more than 15 seconds while sitting at his desk. He told the FDA that he could offer the student's case manager, program director, and details of his specific program. Greg went on further to say, JRC may likely deny that this happened, and he believed the only way to get the truth out of the JRC is to put them on the witness stand under oath. Number six, he could testify with many examples of new students being provoked to exhibit behaviors during the data gathering stage prior to students getting GED approval. Student behavioral charts show the number of behavior students have within five major behavioral categories, aggression, health dangerous behaviors, destruction, major disruptions, and noncompliance and two minor behavior categories, educational and social behaviors, and inappropriate verbal behaviors. But the charts show almost no information about the specific behaviors. The charts did not show which behaviors were provoked, and this data is primarily what the judge has shown when deciding whether to approve students for GED shocks. Number seven, Miller could testify that student behavioral plans were sometimes altered three months prior to court dates so that judges would not see many of the behaviors for which students were shocked. He could go so far as to name specific students and their case managers. He believed this may have been an intentional and systematic leading of the judge. An investigation could look to see whether hard copy samples were only kept the three months leading up to the court dates or if samples of written recording sheets were destroyed altogether, especially for the lower functioning students. Number eight, 
he could testify to witnessing a case manager break open a capsule of ammonia under the nose of a JRC student in 2003, years after these treatments were no longer legal in Massachusetts, and that the student to whom this was done had since died of a urinary tract infection that had lasted for years. Greg wrote that he continued to wonder whether her health-dangerous behaviors back when he worked with her would have decreased and if her immunity would have improved if she had more meaningful and purposeful experiences at JRC and BRI, where she lived for most of her life. It's that last sentence for me. This student had lived most of her life at BRI and JRC. Number nine. Greg could testify to crying, emotional distress, student behaviors stemming from anxiety when students saw a teacher reach for the remote control devices that triggered the GED devices. He could tell how it was super common for students to be shocked for behaviors that were simply reactions of fear while watching their classmates get shocked, or in reaction to a staff merely reaching for a pencil and an apron from which the remote control devices were hanging. Number 10. Greg could testify how students were driven temporarily crazy while tied to the restraint board to receive five shocks in a 10-minute or longer period of time, uneven time between each shock. According to Greg, students may tense up their bodies in anticipation of the next shock because tensing muscles helps to reduce the pain shooting through their body. Therefore, some students were shocked for tensing up their muscles because this diminished the pain while getting shocked. If you recall from last week, Andre received 19 of his 31 shocks for tensing his muscles. Greg attached Andre's recording sheet and other documentation as evidence to back up every single claim he made. Number 11. Miller could testify to what he described as the absolute horror of behavior rehearsal lessons, also known as BRLs. Y'all remember those, right? A few episodes back, we briefly discussed behavior rehearsal lessons. But Greg went into great detail about one student on the receiving end of these so-called lessons. This student in front of his 40 classmates was left in a restraint chair, including cuffs to his arms and legs and a strap to his waist, in a very hot and thick restraint jacket, and in a restraint helmet, all together at the same time, all day long, so that he would be helpless to defend himself during BRL surprise attacks that occurred three to five days per week. A staff would rush in at various times during the school day, yelling and screaming while entering the room and racing to the student, and place either a plastic knife or a metal spoon to the student's mouth and yell, Do you want to swallow a knife? Do you want to swallow a knife? The staff would hold the plastic knife to the student's mouth in a life-threatening manner. The student would scream loudly as though it was his last breath, and other staff somewhere in the room would push a hidden remote control button to shock the student who was already physically helpless to move his body an inch in any direction while being attacked. Greg had worked extensively with this student, mostly at the school, but also at the student's residence. He went on to say he was the teacher's assistant in the room, which was a large room containing 40 students. 
mostly nonverbal students who could not tell their parents what was happening, even though the GED used on the student getting attacked was an FDA-approved GED-1, there were students in the room who were receiving GED-4 shocks for their reactions to observing the BRLs. As many as seven students at one time had reactions of fear to the violent BRL attacks in front of them against their classmate. Even as a staff without being hooked up to a GED device and in danger of being shocked, Miller described feeling sick during and after BRLs, so much so it landed him in his doctor's office with psychosomatic symptoms, and he continued to have nightmares for years over these BRLs. Just witnessing these horrific behavior rehearsal lessons had long-term effects. Just witnessing them. Can you even begin to imagine living them? Greg went on to say that students were shocked according to behaviors defined on their recording sheets, such as dropping to the floor under the table, which was known as out of seat without permission, and defined as a major aggressive behavior. Yelling or screaming, defined as major disruptive behaviors. Relatively throwing tasks down onto the table in front of them. Throwing objects, defined as major destructive behaviors. Holding the electrodes off their skin, shocked for, quote, any attempt to defeat the device. Among other behaviors for which students were shocked, even though they were merely reacting to a classmate receiving the BRLs, these students continued to react in fear and to get shocked at the sight and loud sounds of their classmates' screams and violent attacks, day after day and week after week during the three months that he witnessed the BRLs. He was moved out of the room and the BRLs continued for a total of six months. Greg believed that many parents did not know for what reasons their children were shocked with the GEDs, much less judges or lawmakers. He doubted that the judges court approving these BRLs had ever actually witnessed one, and he believed that an official investigation could reveal to what extent the judges gave an informed consent for the BRLs. Greg had spoken with parents of former JRC students after quitting the JRC and realized that the root of the major deception was the assumption made by parents, judges, and lawmakers that behaviors defined under major aggression would be major aggressive behaviors and that behaviors under major disruption would be majorly disruptive behaviors, and that those behaviors that were listed under major health dangerous behaviors would be majorly health dangerous. Yet staff were told that the smallest behavior, such as tearing the edge of a used and empty paper cup or tearing a loose piece of thread, was still tearing objects, which automatically classified the behavior as a major destructive behavior for which the student had to be shocked consistently and by all staff. Dr. Israel called these smaller behaviors antecedent behaviors. Greg closed out the letter cautioning the FDA on the degree to which the JRC had been willing to be deceptive. Writing, Dr. Matthew Israel has already been indicted for perjury. In response to the New York State Education Department site visit and investigation in 2006, 
Dr. Israel wrote back a long and serious letter of flagrant misinformation to discredit the state of New York and to be used to threaten New York with lawsuit, entitled JRC Responses to Allegations in NYSED June 9, 2006 Report. On page 13, item 34, Dr. Israel wrote, The June report incorrectly describes the use of restraint in combination with GED as the definition of behavior rehearsal lessons. JRC does not restrain students when administering the BRLs. There were no behavioral rehearsal lessons conducted while the reviewers were present at JRC, so they have no basis to make this false claim up. Greg adamantly refuted Israel's claim and stated he could name staff who directly administered the BRLs, JRC administrators directly involved, and name other staff who were present in the room at the time. He went on to describe a typical day in the life for this particular student. Quote, the student would arrive to school in a heavy restraint jacket and restraint cuffs on his wrists and hands and in a restraint helmet. He was tied to a restraint chair with straps to his waist, wrists, and ankles, wearing also a restraint jacket and restraint helmet all day long. The only exception was for usually me to take him to the bathroom twice in the morning and once after lunch and to take him to self-care, where the grown adult male student was given a bath, usually by me and other staff, while the student was tied to a restraint board lying naked, facing the camera, totally at the mercy of staff who were required to put our hands all over his body. All the while, he was still strapped to the GED instrument. On one day, the GED spontaneously fired during the student's self-care, and I put my hand between the student's arm and the electrode to take the brunt of the shock in my palm. The student claimed that the arc of current going through my hand hurt even worse than if the electrode was directly on his skin. There was no danger of the student swallowing another X-Acto knife blade because the X-Acto knife kit had been at the student's residence and had been removed. Other sharp objects had been removed from around school because other students at JRC, as elsewhere in special education schools, also swallow sharp objects. So these restraints and self-care sponge baths were employed not to protect the student from swallowing another small X-Acto knife blade, but to humiliate and degrade the student. And directly tying the restraints to the student's BRLs, directly disproving Dr. Israel's false claim quoted above, every few weeks as part of the student's plan, the restraint straps on the restraint chair would be extended one inch, starting after about the sixth week into the student's BRLs. For Dr. Israel to deny that the restraints were used in combination with the BRLs, despite all of the staff and students who can testify otherwise under oath, hopefully demonstrates to what degree there has been a very deliberate and elaborate sham and cover-up of torture at the JRC. The question remains, why would Dr. Israel be so openly dishonest about the restraints being combined with the electric shocks and BRLs? Did JRC actually lack legal permission to leave the student in restraints all day long to surprise attack him as part of the BRLs? And did Dr. Israel actually lack legal permission 
to use humiliation of the student in insisting that the fully grown male even be bathed while tied to the restraint board, naked and exposed to the camera. Like Dr. Israel's deceitful claims that the GED-4 was FDA-approved, is Dr. Israel's quote above yet another example of how parents, state officials, politicians, JRC staff, and the taxpaying public have all been duped into delivering an advanced system of heinous crimes against students with disabilities in the name of help, playing on the desperation of parents who were unaware that much better alternatives exist for their children. End quote. Greg further claimed that JRC's deceit had extended into the Massachusetts Department of Mental Retardation, which is also referred to as DMR. He had personally reported the abuse of BRLs to the DMR, which was DPPC case 67309. The outcome of the investigation concluded that, quote, the allegations of abuse slash mistreatment are not substantiated because there is insufficient evidence to conclude that the student was seriously injured as the result of an act by his caretaker. Therefore, abuse is not substantiated. Accusations of mistreatment were also not substantiated based primarily on the fact that JRC implemented guardian-approved and court-authorized behavioral rehearsal lessons, consistent with his behavior modification treatment plan. The conclusion in the investigation by the DMR was, quote, neither JRC nor its employees committed inappropriately intentional, reckless, or negligent actions. The injuries were incidental to the treatment. So then why had Matthew Israel made such a point to deny that restraints were combined with the BRLs if they were a part of the student's court-approved plan? Furthermore, the investigation did not address the many students who were shocked, including with GED-4 devices that were never FDA-approved and the trauma they experienced. Greg posed the question, had the DMR ever really investigated exactly what was approved by the judge or whether JRC added restraints and humiliation to the student's plan without permission from the judge? And that wasn't the only report Greg Miller had made to the agency. He had made multiple reports of abuse. He reported another student that was shocked for closing his eyes for 10 seconds while sitting at his desk, case number 67306. That complaint was dismissed because, quote, it did not meet the criteria of a reportable condition. And there was no indication JRC is in violation of the student's court-approved program. Another report to the DMR, case number 67307, that one student, quote, gets shocks for standing up, raising his hand, and asking politely to use the bathroom. This complaint was also screened out, quote, as the allegation is not abuse. Therefore, the allegations of abuse or mistreatment are not substantiated. He also reported to the DMR the GED burns he had witnessed on one student, case number 67308. In this case, Greg claimed that the DMR deferred the investigation to the Department of Social Services. The investigating officers waited six weeks before even visiting the school. The officer told him afterward that his investigation included visiting the school, meeting with JRC officials, and asking to see the student's skin. 
but he had explained to the officer that the student's worst severe injuries and repeated GED vacations had occurred months before. A GED vacation is what JRC calls a period where the student is taken off the GED devices just long enough for their injuries to heal, usually right before a family or official visit. Greg went on to say that this student's severe behaviors occurred mostly while he was on GED, caused by what appeared to Greg to be a split personality, where one part of the student wanted the other part of the student to get hurt. The student had very few behaviors during his GED vacations. While still employed at JRC, Greg had written a therapy note for the student, which resulted in JRC making drastic changes. Not to the student's plan, because that would reveal that the GEDs had caused the student's behaviors, but rather to not follow the student's plan. JRC stapled a note to the front of the student's daily recording sheet that told staff to only shock the student if he had a behavior while entering the classroom on one day, or only if he had a behavior while he was walking down the hallway on another day, and so on. So the student quit getting shocked for his behaviors, and his behaviors died down drastically, almost to no behaviors at all. Greg went on to say, but what I had asked the DMR and the DPPC officer to investigate was the many unnecessary injuries and bloody scabs and abuse of this student who had been tied to a restraint chair and shocked with the GED4 30 times within a two-hour period, day after day. Compare that to the photo of Andre McCollin's injuries after a single day of 30 shocks with the less powerful GED-1 device. It usually took about two weeks for his thick, bloody, and crusty scabs to accumulate to such severity that the school's nurse would put him on another GED vacation for five to six weeks. A true investigation would have looked at the paperwork showing how many times the student had been placed on GED vacation and would have requested the student's medical records as well as speaking to the nursing staff and to staff working with the student to confirm the degree of injuries. A true investigation would have exposed that the student's behaviors indeed had increased while on the GED and that the student's injuries had been severe and unnecessary. A true investigation would have revealed that JRC's claim that the GED-4 device used on the student was FDA-approved was false and would have reported the injuries and false claims to the FDA. And even further, Greg said, when he met with the DMR investigator in person, he was told that this investigator had been the sole person investigating the claims of abuse at JRC for 15 years. This investigator told Greg that his accusation of Burns was discredited based on the fact that he was not a medical doctor to diagnose Burns and that they did not have the funds to hire a doctor. The DMR investigator also told him that he was very well aware of the GED injuries, that these injuries were much preferable to the student's self-injurious behaviors and that the GED injuries were, quote, a new kind of injury, not electrical burns. This had been the position of JRC for many years. But of course, we know that Matthew Israel also claimed multiple times that his GED devices never injured anyone, 
We can read Dr. Israel's own words, claiming that JRC's GE devices have never burned a single student. So which is it? Is it a new kind of injury or is there no injury at all? Because it cannot be both. And it wasn't just Greg Miller who had made accusations of abuse. Various staff members had reported to the DMR over years, but nothing had ever been done. Nothing. Greg stated, quote, Clearly, the DMR in the past has played a central role in allowing JRC to get away with the torture of helpless students with disabilities. And then Greg made a passionate plea to the FDA. And let me just state right here the role of the Food and Drug Administration directly from their own website. Quote, the Food and Drug Administration is responsible for protecting the public health by ensuring the safety, efficacy, and security of human and veterinary drugs biological products, and medical devices, and by ensuring the safety of our nation's food supply, cosmetics, and products that emit radiation, end quote. You heard that part about medical devices, right? And we all remember that the JRC claimed the GEDs were therapeutic medical devices, right? We'll hang on to it because it'll be important later. Greg wrote, please stop all abusive and torturous GED devices. I have worked at another school with students who had equally severe behaviors who did better without the GEDs, and I have communicated with former JRC students who did much better once they got away from JRC, were treated humanely, and were taken off the GED device. Clearly, JRC has been dishonest with the public, with parents, and with its staff for years, including its false claims that the GED4 device had FDA approval. I implore you to recognize JRC's deep deception, that JRC cannot be trusted with the responsibility of using even the GED-1 device that the FDA has previously approved, and to discontinue the approval of the GED-1 device. Parents who are campaigning to protect JRC have been misled, as I was misled to believe that JRC is the only school that offers treatment that these students need. But I did not see treatment. I saw control through fear, torture, and humiliation. No parents were present to watch their children shocked in response to their fear and terror while being forced to witness the behavioral rehearsal lessons. While I have seen parents currently advocating for JRC say that what happened to Andre McCollins viewed on television was excessive, what these parents do not realize is how excessive JRC's treatments have been to many students, especially the nonverbal students who cannot tell their parents what happened to them. JRC's hellhole has existed for far too long. I beseech you to please remove FDA approval for the GED-1 devices and please do investigate and prosecute JRC's false claims of having FDA approval for non-approved devices. But it was worse than even Greg Miller thought. Just days later, Greg came to the realization that not a single device he had shocked students with during his three years at JRC was FDA approved. He fired off a second letter to the FDA that read, I have learned since emailing this testimony to you days ago that the GED-1 devices that we used on students during the time I was an employee at the JRC 
were in fact GED3A devices, as evident in the serial numbers on the GED1 devices all started with 3A. You can see the five serial numbers on the top of Andre McCollin's recording sheets on the day that he was shocked multiple times. They all started with 3A. I can send you additional photos of Andre's GED injuries, the photos taken by the DPPC of Andre while he was still in the hospital. The significance is that all shocks used on students during my time at JRC were from devices that have not been approved by the FDA, including both what we were told were GED1 devices and the GED4 devices. The injuries on Andre and many other students were from non-approved GED3A devices. In my testimony below, I also mentioned behavioral rehearsal lessons in front of 40 students that included significant restraints together with shocks and violent attacks with a plastic knife or metal spoon, contrary to the quote from Dr. Israel saying otherwise to the New York State Education Department. I said below that the student was wearing GED1 devices and that those were FDA approved. Not so. They were non-approved GED3 instruments. All instrument serial numbers that we meticulously wrote down on student recording sheets every day started with 3A, except for the more rare GED4 instruments whose serial numbers started with 4. I remember asking back then why GED1 instruments had serial numbers that started with 3A and being told, don't ask. It is sickening to think that not even one instrument that I used on my former students at JRC were FDA approved. Contrary to JRC's repeated telling us and advertising that the devices were safe because they were FDA approved. Greg's letters were published on Autistic Hoya with his permission. You can still find them there. Lawmakers, advocates, the FDA, the Department of Justice, everyone had their eyes squarely on JRC. And a whole new agency was about to step in and issue a report. And this time, it would be global. According to Disability Rights International, Juan Mendez, the UN Special Reporter on Torture, presented a report to the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva holding governments around the world accountable for violations of the UN Convention Against Torture. For Uganda, it was dangerously unhealthy conditions of detention and lack of medical care in Ugandan prisons. Saudi Arabia alleged imminent execution of a detainee subjected to torture methods in order to obtain confessions to a drug-related offense. In Sudan, it was an alleged death sentence by the stoning of a 20-year-old woman for charges of adultery. The Russian Federation allegedly provided ill treatment while in detention and use of prolonged solitary confinement as punishment. For Pakistan, it was the alleged arrest and prolonged pretrial detention of two girls, aged 12 and 14. Iraq alleged risk of execution of six individuals after proceedings that did not comply with fair trial and due process standards. In Iran, an alleged detention and flogging of a human rights defender. And these are just a few accounts from the 100-plus page report, some countries with multiple violations. For the United States, there was just one, and it read, 
alleged mistreatment with electric shock of children and young adults enrolled in the residential program of the Judge Rotenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. JRC's practices were right there next to floggings, executions, stonings, and a whole host of other egregious violations of human rights. I mean, can you imagine your form of therapy landing you on the UN's list of torture right next to terrorists and dictators from around the world? You'd think that might be a wake-up call. Special reporter Juan Mendez wrote, quote, Therefore, and in the absence of evidence to the contrary, the special reporter determines that the rights of the students of the JRC subjected to level three aversive interventions by means of electric shock and physical means of restraint have been violated under the UN Convention Against Torture and Other International Standards. He went a step further to say, the special reporter calls on the government to ensure a prompt and impartial investigation into these continued practices. He called on the government to provide information on the Department of Justice's investigation into possible violations of civil rights laws and to take measures to prohibit the use of level three aversive interventions for all students on a national level including those students who had an existing court-approved treatment plan as of the 1st of September 2011 in Massachusetts, all that according to that 2013 UN report. You see, the U.S. Department of Justice, or the DOJ, has had an open investigation into JRC since that time and reported to Mendez in January 2013 that it was still ongoing. Mendez addressed this as well, writing, quote, Although the special reporter appreciates the government's response, he expresses serious concern about the physical and mental integrity of the students residing at JRC. In view of the continued use of electric shock therapy and physical means of restraint as part of the JRC educational program. Mendez also stressed the need for a federal ban on the practices, noting that there was nothing to stop JRC from simply relocating again to another state. He said protections are needed at the federal level to ensure that level three adversives are brought to an end in the United States of America. Mendez called on the U.S. government to ensure a prompt and impartial investigation and to take measures to prohibit the use of level three aversive interventions for all students on a national level. But it seems the DOJ hasn't yet completed its investigation. You know, the one they started all the way back in 2010? Because according to an article by CNN published in July of this year, 2021, CNN reached out to the DOJ on the status of the investigation, but it appears they didn't receive a response. Where you at, DOJ? Can anyone end this? The FDA, DOJ, lawmakers, the UN, the state agencies. Is there anyone who can end this? In 2014, at the urging of advocates and damn near anyone who knew about the abuses at the JRC, a hearing was held on, quote, the Safety and Effectiveness of Averse Conditioning by the Neurological Devices Panel of the Medical Devices Advisory Committee of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 
advocacy groups, survivors of the JRC, the ACLU, Cheryl McCollins, Greg Miller, Occupy JRC, Disability Law Center, the ARC of the U.S., Shane Newmeyer, and countless others testified about the GED device and what was really happening at the Judge Rotenberg Center. They presented a hell of a case. I keep finding myself saying this, but I could have done an entire episode or two on the testimony. It was passionate, well-researched, and on point. The ACLU submitted its findings. According to the report published on AutisticHoya.net, the American Civil Liberties Union found first and foremost that the GED meets the FDA criteria for banning a product. Stating in the report that for the FDA to ban a device, it must find that the device creates an unreasonable and substantial risk of injury, or that the device is presented with substantial deception. The graduated electronic decelerator met both criteria. The ACLU found that the GED created an unreasonable and substantial risk of injury, and to back this up, they cited numerous credible reports to show the GED causes both physical and psychological harm. And as far as the device being presented with substantial deception, the agency cited the fact that the Judge Rotenberg Center maintained that the use of the GED and aversive therapy are necessary to prevent self-harm. But as you and I and the ACLU knows, reports from staff, former residents of JRC, and JRC's own data shows that shocks are administered in response to any undesirable behavior. From leaving a chair to stopping work for 10 seconds, to flapping one's hands to slouching in a chair, to not taking off a coat. The ACLU reported that JRC shocks students deliberately without cause. And if they protest, JRC shocks them again in order to train them not to ask for help or fairness in their treatment. The Judge Rotenberg Center was also deceptive when it describes the shock of the GED as if it were a two-second bee sting. Former residents dispute that characterization. And furthermore, the JRC does not allow the public or journalist to try the most powerful GED for. A staff member will demonstrate the GED-1, but not the stronger GED-4. Hmm, I wonder why that is. The ACLU had conducted a lengthy review of JRC's online materials and found no indication of the frequency and randomness of the adversive electric shocks that students may be subjected to. None of the materials include video of a student being shocked. None of the materials show the four-point restraints used to hold a student in place while being repeatedly shocked. Deception? Yeah, I'd have to say so. It's the last point made in the ACLU report that I cannot, since learning about the Judge Rotenberg Center, no matter how hard I've tried, wrap my head around. And I can't say it any more effectively than the ACLU itself. Quote, because the aversive conditioning device is used solely on people with disabilities, its use is a violation of federal disability rights laws. As a recipient of federal funds, the Judge Rotenberg Center is subject to a Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. As a residential school and a behavior modification facility, it is subject to the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA. 
Under both the Rehabilitation Act and the ADA, discrimination against people with disabilities is prohibited. Both the GED's advocates and its critics refer to the GED as part of a method of behavior modification. It is not a treatment for the underlying mental condition. In other words, the GED is not active treatment of an intellectual disability or autism or ADHD. The GED is used just to change behavior. In the United States, we have hundreds of behavior modification programs, both voluntary and involuntary. We have programs to stop bad habits such as smoking, drinking, or eating too much. We have incarceration programs to curb or punish harmful behavior such as theft, assault, murder. None of these programs, whether run by a private entity or by the government, employ a device such as the GED to treat undesirable behaviors. Drinking, smoking, and drug use may be just as self-injurious as hitting one's head against a wall. A noxious electrical stimulus could be quite effective in curbing any behavior related to such bad habits and any trigger behaviors that could lead to it. Nonetheless, no behavior modification program employs such a device. Thefts, assaults, and murders cause clear harm to others. Yet no incarceration program uses a GED to rehabilitate or even punish those convicted of such offenses. The United States also has thousands of schools. These schools work with students who have a range of disabilities and a range of behavior issues. But in no school is a noxious electrical shock used to modify behavior or maintain discipline. It is only students with disabilities who are subjected to painful, repeated, and often arbitrary shocks. Moreover, there is no individualized determination of the harm the shocks will cause. Students enrolled at the Judge Rotenberg Center are hooked up to the GED regardless of their diagnosis. The individualized education plan they arrive with or the particular behaviors they exhibit, whether the student is there because she has autism, an emotional disturbance, ADHD, an intellectual disability, or post-traumatic stress disorder, the GED is used to teach compliance, to instill fear, and to maintain strict control. The students who are subjected to this noxious electrical stimulus have little in common except their disability status. In no other population do we use aversive electric shocks to modify behavior, nor even to punish harmful acts. No students without disabilities are hooked up to a GED and forced to wear it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. No students without disabilities are repeatedly shocked until they are so cowed that they will not even protest the injustice of random and arbitrary punishment. The use of the noxious electrical stimulus subjects these individuals with disabilities to treatment that is different from students without disabilities, treatment that is worse than that of students without disabilities, and treatment that is painful, dehumanizing, and random. In short, these students with disabilities experience discrimination solely by reason of their disability. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Death row inmates have more rights. There are laws to protect terrorists from being tortured. And not that I'm comparing people to dogs, but some pet stores won't even sell electric shock collars for use on dogs. 
which as much as I love them, they're still technically animals. But this so-called therapy is still being used on people with disabilities. We are talking about human beings here, some who don't even have the ability to communicate. They didn't consent to this. They can't. What are we doing here? How is this now or has this ever been justifiable? In the conclusion of that ACLU report, it was pointed out that while JRC staff has argued that their aversive methods are effective, the overwhelming weight of reputable medical and scientific research disagrees, and furthermore, that it was irrelevant. The ACLU maintained that the GED, quote, causes significant physical and mental pain to vulnerable students with disabilities who are legally and physically held hostage. Whether the GED creates permanent or temporary behavior modification in some, many, or all of the students is immaterial. The use of a noxious electrical stimulus is inhumane. The fact that we consider using it on people with disabilities, and only people with disabilities, is evidence of significant bias and discrimination. Any participation by government entities through licensing, contracting, referral, or funding raises serious risk of federal disability rights violations. End quote. Hostage, torture, dehumanization, electric shocks, discrimination. Is anyone listening? And with that, my friends, we unfortunately are out of time. And I haven't forgotten that I told you last week we would be hearing from a victim herself. And I had every intention of that being the case, but I completely misjudged the amount of time it would take to tell just this part of the story. Y'all, time management skills aren't exactly in my list of personal attributes. Sorry, they just aren't. And I never want to water down the story for the sake of time. It's important to me that you have all the facts and details. It's important that the hard work and dedication of those who have been fighting this battle for years is given proper credit, and their work is not simply glossed over. People like Shane Newmeyer, Lydia Brown, Cheryl McCollins, Jennifer Masumba, Ian Cook, Emily Titan, Gregory Miller, Nancy Weiss, and countless others. You see, I wouldn't be able to tell you this story if it weren't for them. I simply wouldn't have ever known. For some, this is their life's work, life's mission, and I have so much respect for what they have been able to accomplish. I'm just here trying to do their story justice. We'll get there, I promise. It's with a heavy heart that I must report Gregory Miller has since passed away. But his legacy lives on in the work he accomplished to put an end to the abuses of the Judge Rotenberg Center. This episode is dedicated to Greg a man who did the right thing regardless of the consequences, a man who could have walked away and lived the rest of his life quietly but chose to go public, admitted his faults, and fought like hell to make it right, a man who is respected by so many people. One constant throughout talking to those involved in this case is the high regard in which Greg is held. Courage was something he had in droves and he fought with his whole heart. We could all learn so much from Greg Miller. As always, you can find more information on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. 
New episodes drop every Thursday. Believe me, you don't want to miss next week. More information can also be found at AutisticHoya.net. Lydia Brown has done an absolutely amazing job of creating a living archive of the Judge Rotenberg Center's abuses. I'll link that again in the show notes. So much information can be found there. You can also go to Occupy the Judge Rotenberg Center on Facebook. The folks at Occupy the JRC have been at the forefront of this battle for over two decades. Thank you for listening. We need to end this nightmare for those still suffering at JRC. Today, I leave you again with the amazing Jennifer Masumba and one of my personal favorite songs. It's the song my kids blast 24-7, the one that I sing going down the grocery aisle, and the song that always seems to be able to cheer me up and get stuck in my head. The original song, Hot Sauce and Chips. Take it away, Jen. So my friend, she said, Jen, you write a lot of songs, but I bet you can't write a song about hot sauce and chips. And I was like, girl, challenge accepted. Tell me. Tell me if you can't write a song about hot sauce and chips. I'll write it right now. Brittany. Bet. Okay. Call the doctor because I'm running on high. And my rhymes are just as clever as my lyrics are sly. I got a million ways to rhyme and I'm getting it done. I'm not a sad dude and poet, but a positive one. It's like TikTok, what I'm going to do next. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm doing my best. I got a weird way of being, but I'm certainly me. So don't count me out. Just count to three. I got one, two, three hits sitting in my brain. Spotify doesn't love me, but it's all the same. I'm going to write this song for my 15 fans and put a catchy little hook on the end of it, man. It goes... I put hot sauce on my chips, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got tenacity and grit, woo, let's go. My shoes are dirty, working hard. Uh, uh, uh. I've had tough times, but I'm beating the odds. Okay, I put hot sauce on my chips, <laughs> it's true, I do. I've got tenacity and grit, yeah, yeah, yeah. My shoes are dirty from working hard. Show is. I've had tough times, but I'm beating the odds. Can't wait One more this. time. I put hot sauce on my chips. You should try it, it's good. I've got tenacity and grit. Can't stop me now. My shoes are dirty from working hard. Yeah. And I've had tough times, but I'm beating the odds. I put hot sauce on my chin.